Major General Marion E. Carl. The sky was full of them. Major General Marion E. Carl was one of the Marine Corps' foremost aviators. In World War II, he was a leading ace with 18 kills of Japanese aircraft. He later was a test pilot and rose to command a Marine aircraft wing. In this segment of an oral history interview conducted in 1973, Carl, who was a first lieutenant at the beginning of World War II, describes his actions as a fighter pilot in VMF-221 in the opening action of the pivotal Battle of Midway. The first priority of the Japanese was to neutralize the Marine base on Midway. A very small force of Marine fighter pilots sorted out to confront the 108-plane air armada headed toward Midway to overwhelm the Marine defenders. For Carl and the other fighter pilots in VMF-221, this was their first combat. For most of them, it was also their last. Although the Marines had prepared for the attack, as in all combat situations, whether in the air, on the ground, or at sea, things do not go according to plan, as we learn from the following account. Battle of Midway itself, about two weeks before the battle, we got some F4Fs. I don't remember just how many, but there was some place in the neighborhood of eight. And one division, all the divisions were six airplanes and two airplane elements. And one division got F4Fs, and I was in that division. So I was flying F4Fs in Battle of Midway. John Kerry had the division, he was the division leader. And on the scramble that morning, uh, we were one of the first ones to get off, but unfortunately McCarthy and his, one of the element leaders, McCarthy and his uh, map was up on patrol in F4F. We never saw him again. So that left just four in that division. Schwanzberger was one of the others, but that left Kerry, Canfield, Carl, and Swansburger left. Canfield was my wingman, and Swansburger was Carrie's wingman. Well, on the scramble, Swansburger got screwed up somehow or other, and joined up on the wrong division. Well, it was too late to hot scramble it, so well, that's just the way it was. And as far as the group was concerned, as it turned out, they'd forgotten that apparently the two airplanes had been up on on, uh, on uh, patrol, and they didn't know the Swansburger hadn't joined up, so they assumed that the F4Fs, which was, was they felt was the better airplanes, I suppose, was the six-plane division, and they vectored us out, and we went out by ourselves. Now, I don't know if the rest of them went out by themselves not for this division, but they didn't put the whole squadron together and send it out as one flight. So they set us out, we're going out, and as I remember, somewhere around 12, 14,000 feet is what the altitude they told us to take. And gave us the vector, and I put Canfield up on Cherry's wing, and now I'm killing Charlie all by myself. Well, we run into the, we run into the depths out, say, 30 miles or so up and down, exactly how far it wasn't too far, 30, 30 miles. And we're both the bombers, so, we like to make a, what's called it, overhead. So just roll over our back and come back straight down from above. And just about the time when I'm ready to roll over, I catch sight of all these damn zeros up above, which I've not seen. There were some clouds. Christ, the air was full. So, I complete my 
But instead of pulling out, just normally ain't going on up ahead like Terry and Canfield apparently had done. I'd already lost track of them. I just did this and went the opposite direction. It took me about five seconds to figure out that if I had pulled out this for the island, I was going to have zeros all over me. If I pulled out and went away from the island, since they were to be covering the bomber, they probably wouldn't follow me. And they didn't. But Canfield and Terry both got shot up pretty badly, but both got back. I lost, just as soon as they rolled over, I lost track of them, so I wasn't, I've never seen them again anyway, so I said, okay, well, wait a minute. Well, now I hit for the, I climb up to 20,000 feet and hit that midway. God, I look down there and nothing. I can't find a friendly airplane anyplace. So there's not on the whole status bar thing. I can't seem to contact anybody on the radio anymore. Of course, in those days, we didn't use the video very much. So, uh, that's fiddling around up there. Next thing I know, I've got a damn shoe on my field. Well, you shoot away and try to figure out how to get rid of him, and I come up on a cloud. So I fly through the cloud. It's just one of the big puppy clouds I can have out there. And just as I hit the cloud, I chopped the gun and threw the damn thing into a skin, see? Well, I come out the other side, the zeros overrun me, see? He's, he's come up on me so fast that he can't do anything to pull up and on and so on. So he goes, he ducks down. I wish he was pulled up. I would have made a mistake I did. But anyway, he ducks down and goes under me. Now he's out ahead of me. I shove over and pull the trigger on my guns and get nothing. Because at the same time I shove over and pull the trigger, all the damn ammunition at the top of the, of the, and every ball four guns just plugged up. Right there, see. If I just waited a second, pulled over, and then pulled it, pushed over, and let that thing stabilize for a second, for a moment, and then pulled the trigger, everything had been alright. But I, I was pretty green and didn't know it better. Well, nevertheless, that scared him so bad that he took off. Now I'm looking at it, I'm trying to get things, get some, get the guns unplugged. I think I've got three out of four of them unplugged. And charging. And I'm looking around, and pretty soon all the airplanes are left midway, except I see three zeros still filling around down there. So I pick one that looks and dive on him and get him. The rest of them have all gone off. I guess I probably got the last airplane that was hanging around the island. And I go in on that. And that, because there was 25 of them took off. Of the 25, as General Carl's description of the battle indicates, Marines responded bravely and determinedly in the face of overwhelming odds. Carl's account reveals how, despite the best preparations, plans went awry once the enemy was engaged. Instead of going into battle with a six-plane division, there were only three aircraft that plunged into the Japanese attack force. Then he discovered that the Japanese fighters were at a higher-than-expected altitude. Carl became detached from the other two members of his flight. The one thing to be expected, an attack by an enemy aircraft, unfortunately did occur. The unexpected again occurred when the guns on his Wildcat aircraft jammed. So, this first combat outing was a real trial by fire. Carl's training, the understanding of his aircraft, his weapons systems, 
tactical astuteness, and clear-minded aggressive action allowed him to shoot down an enemy aircraft and, most importantly, to survive when most of his squadron mates did not. The question, then, is how realistic is our training today? Are Marines being trained to fully know their weapon or weapon systems, to take the initiative and to be flexible in combat, to expect the unexpected, and to remain clear-minded and purposeful when confronting an enemy that has all the advantages in a seemingly hopeless situation. For additional information on Marines at the Battle of Midway, read Marines at Midway by Lieutenant Colonel Robert D. Heinel, Jr., World War II, The Battle of Midway, From the Leatherneck, June 1992 by R.R. Keene, and Miracle at Midway by Gordon Prange, 